Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the Hockey News Podcast. Welcome to the Hockey News Podcast, uh, presented by Ben and Jim and McKenny. I'm Mike Stevenson, and next to me, I guess, is Ryan Kenny. Ryan, how you doing? I'm great. I heard the boys are back in town by Thin Lizzy on the radio on the way here. So it's like, best Irish band ever. I thought you were going to say, like, I heard the boys are back in town. Yeah. It's, just, it's, it's us. <laughs> yeah. Check it out. The boys are back. Uh, exactly. On the podcast. Well, we have, uh, look, another week, another crazy slate of NHL happenings. I would yeah. love to talk about them. Number one, I guess, let's hop right into it, is Shane Wright. You know, he's been, we've had lots of conversations about him. Indeed. Through training camp, through preseason, through the early stretch of the season. Finally, there's some action on that. Um, in that Seattle has sent Shane Wright down to the AHL's Coachella Firebirds, or Coachella yep. Valley Firebirds, sorry, um, for a conditioning stint, mm-hmm. which is a maximum of four, I believe it's 14 days. Yes. Um, uh, and also a maximum of five games, I think it is. Correct. Yes. So interesting that, he, that he'd be eligible for a conditioning stint. I believe it's because he hadn't played in a certain amount of games. So he's yeah, able to do five that. healthy scratches in a row. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, um, but what's interesting about that is that the timing really makes sense because uh, you know, whether or not you agree with, with what they're doing to Shane Wright or not, um, in terms of playing, they send him down. Let's mm-hmm. say he, he takes the maximum 14 days, which I'm assuming they're going to they're gonna milk. Um, then he can, then that leads you right into the World Juniors, mm-hmm. where he will likely be released to go score a billion goals with Canada. Have you seen their center depth, by the way? Like, we're going to be there. Like, it's going to yeah. be insane. Yes. Um, so then that'll happen. And by the time he gets back, like, if he gets back to the NHL, he will be. He will then have not played or not hit eligibility enough that he can be an ELC slide. So his 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 contract will slide another year. So although he stayed with the team past that like nine game threshold, even though he hasn't mm-hmm. played nine games, but he's stayed with the team past that threshold, his contract will not like he will he will not count towards the year of UFA. So I mean that's I mean that works well for the, the Kraken. Mm-hmm. Does this work best for Shane Wright? I think is the real question to ask. Well, I think that the AHL stint will be great for him. Yes, of course. And it's it's going to be hockey. Like, it's it's going to be, be hockey. hockey. He'll get yeah. minutes. You know, uh, he can play in all situations if they want uh, with the Firebirds. They have uh, five games in that uh, that fourteen day period, so it works out perfectly. All on the road, uh, interestingly enough. And yeah, he can just get minutes, he can get reps, uh, you know, find his uh, scoring touch. And then, as you said, if Seattle releases him for the World Juniors, then once again, he'll be put into a role where he'll get, you know, great minutes. And as you alluded to, you know, as it's shaping up, Canada is going to have, you know, Connor Bedard for sure, Logan Stankoven for Mm -hmm. sure, um, you know, most likely Adam Fantilli, most likely Shane Wright at this point. I mean, those are four centers right there. They're not all going to play center because, you know, you want them in scoring roles. But the idea of having, you know, Connor Bedard on Shane Wright's wing or Logan Stankoven's wing uh, or even Adam Fantilli's wing or, or going with a line where you put Fantilli with Wright and Bedard on a top line is just sort of like hilarious fun for Canada's coaching staff. But, Fan, sorry, Fantilli? 
with Wright and Bedard as a line. Wouldn't that be amazing? I mean, it's it's fantasy hockey, but wouldn't it be kind of Well, it could amazing? become a reality. It totally could. I am, like that, as a Canadian, that just makes my patriotism like soar. Yeah. Know? That's incredible. It would be amazing. So, I mean, we'll see what, mm. what else shakes out in the end because, I mean, Canada, obviously, uh, so many options. Mm. Uh, and, you know, it is better to have too many centers and uh, put them on wing than have not enough centers and have wingers play center. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for Shane Wright, um, I, again, you know, this is sort of the best case scenario right now where, because Seattle's winning. You yeah. know, it's like you don't want to mess with success if you're the Kraken and, and try to shoehorn in, you know, a, a bigger role for him. I, I get that. So the next best thing, get him to the Firebirds, let him play, you know, Top six minutes there, and then he goes hypothetically to the World Juniors. Top six minutes there, and then let's see what kind of player he is when he returns. Yeah, you know, and who knows? I mean, Seattle. You, you hope you don't hit injury problems, but you never know. It's a long season. You might need yeah. Shane Wright. You know, come January. So um, the fact they were that they were able to do this thanks to the five healthy scratches. Uh, it's funny. I, I feel like anytime we doubt GM Ron Francis. He comes out with a plan that just makes so much sense. And sometimes it takes a little longer than we think, but in the end, it's like, ah, yeah, he did it again. It's like we were talking about the other week where everybody was disappointed with the expansion draft, but then this past summer, he loaded up on draft picks. He got Oliver Bjorkstrand. He got Andre Burakovsky. It's like, oh, okay, well, now Seattle looks a lot better. Uh, And they got Matty Beneers as well through the draft. So it's like... Yeah, I'm, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna wait longer, yeah. when, before doubting Ron Francis now. Absolutely. Look, I think that I think for the Seattle Kraken as they currently are, they're ten five and three. They're doing much better than even though I was, as you will recall, like we'll check the tape. I was pretty I, I was excited about the Kraken this mm-hmm. year. I thought that Bjorkstrand trade is one of the best trades that we've seen in a very long time. True. To get like arguably Columbus's best forward from last year in terms of pure offensive uh, uh, like metrics mm. for a third and fourth round pick, like it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but I didn't expect to see them like being almost like a legit playoff contender this year. Yeah. They're doing a great job. And look, last year, I remember looking at the Kraken, like they'd, all, they'd have a ton of injuries or they'd have to call a lot of people up uh, because they traded all their assets at the deadline. You know, they traded mm. Croak and Giordano and all those guys. Um, and their, their cops were like Cole Lind or guys like that. Now, uh, potentially, like they get an injury, they're called Shane Wright. Yeah, could be worse. But this this goes again to the to the uh, the most annoying rule in hockey, which is the uh, the fact that North American players uh, uh, who I think they have to be twenty uh, to to play in the AHL, mm-hmm. which is just like it's it's maddening. Like this should Shane Wright should have started the year in the AHL. He should have gotten off on on the on the right foot yeah. for the Coachella Firebirds, made that team his own, like gotten the confidence of being a legitimate like very good performer, at least top six performer in North America against grown men in a professional league, he should, that, that would have been, I think, would have been much better for his development than being frustrated because, like, the reports are, there, there, there are frustrations on all sides here. There uh-huh. are frustrations from Shane Wright that he's not playing. There are frustrations from Dave Haxall that he's being told to play Shane Wright more uh, initially, and we saw that when, for Ron Francis, then there was frustrations that Shane Wright wasn't being played more when he was in the lineup mm. because he went, you know, we should be, normally we should be getting him around 12, 13 minutes a night. Yeah. The next day after that, um, Dave Haxall played Shane Wright 13 minutes, and then he was in the lineup for the next game. He played six, and then he was never seen again. Right, yeah. so it's I, I it just it's it annoys me that there's so many things in hockey where we have to like play to the loopholes 
Right. Like there's so many, like we, this is, this is a loophole, right? Like you're yeah. stuffy scratching your potentially like fr new franchise face yeah. just so you can send them down to a team that you own. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on here? So yeah. it, I think that it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't benefit really anybody but the CHL as they want to say. And I don't think Shane Wright was ever going to go back to the CHL as much as I think that could have been a good path for him mm. considering that he didn't really tear it up last year. He could have gone in and put up like two points per game and just shown like, yeah, I, I am God in this league. Right. 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 Um, but yeah, it's, it, look, it, it is kind of a bummer that they had to basically potentially stall this guy's development a little bit just so he could play for Like I said, play for a team that he owned, that they own. Yeah. But look, perf it, the timeline works perfectly now. And Selfishly for us, like I said, we're going to be at the World Juniors. I cannot wait to watch a Shane Wright, uh, this version Shane Wright, yeah. led uh, uh, Team Canada. It's going to be, it's going to be incredible. All right, next, uh, next topic, shall we? Let's do it. Kale McCarr. Now, scoring is up, obviously. Mm. Like, like it's uh, in the last couple of years. I, th I think the game has never been better than than what it is right now. Mm. But for anyone to break a record these days that was like set in like the the 80s, basically, mm -hmm. which was. Every game was like seven six. Yeah. For someone to break a record, an offensive record that mm -hmm. was set during the absolute offensive heyday that will likely never be touched again is mind-boggling. That's exactly what Kale McCarr did. He's the fastest defenseman in NHL history at 195 games. They hit 200 points. He did it with a goal last night, which I mean, come on, like of course he did. Sure. Um, and that's faster than Bobby Orr and Paul Coffey. And Paul Coffey is the kind of guy who would be putting up like 100 point seasons as a defenseman. Yeah. Kale McCarr has, does, okay, I'll ask you this. Does Kale McCarr have a chance to become the best defenseman in NHL history? Yeah, you know what? It's such a, that's such a mind-blowing question because you think about Bobby Orr and his dominance. You go, there's no way. And it's like, yeah, but what I will say is that, well, first of all, I mean, Bobby Orr hobbled by injuries, so yes. his, his career was shortened. Um, you know, Bobby Orr led the league in scoring a couple of times. I don't think we're going to see Kale McCarr do that. No. Uh, could Kale McCarr win the Hart Trophy? Oh, it's yeah. It's possible. Yeah. I definitely think he It's could. possible. It's tough in a Connor McDavid league, but it's not impossible. I, I don't think it even is up to him whether that happens. I think mm. it's, I think like if he's playing in, in Colorado and like we already know, Landis Gogs is. Uh, we already know Landis Gog is injury prone. If Mc, if uh, not McDavid, if McKinnon uh -huh. goes down for like forty five games in a season at one point, right. And McCarr just keeps at his good pace, and uh -huh. the, and and because Colorado is still good, yeah. they make the playoffs and they yeah. maybe like win around. I I can definitely see him getting some heart trophy, at least votes in that regard. For sure, yeah. and you know the voting is due before the playoffs begin. Yeah, yeah. So not, you don't even have to win around. If no, you yeah. just get to the playoffs, then. Huge check mark there. Um, Sorry, it's my first year in the PHWA. It's okay. I, I'm, I'm learning. Okay? It's all good. It's all good. It's good for the fans to know that too, because they'll be like, how could that guy be MVP when they got swept by the Bruins or whatever yeah. it happens to be that particular year? It's like, because the voting's already done. That's yeah. why. Now you know. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, what's also interesting is, I believe second place was Sergei Zuboff, who played in the 90s. The most underrated, perhaps, defenseman ever? Perhaps. I would say ever. Like, underrated? Yeah. Yeah. Zubov was incredible. Yeah. But to your original yes, point. Sorry. We got on from a great tangent there, didn't we? It was we? very fantastic. Yeah. yeah. But to your point, it's really amazing what Kale McCarr did. Because as you mentioned, you know, Paul Coffey, Firewagon Oilers, yeah. you know, tons of points. Bobby Orr, you know, the thing I always like to point out that, you know, Bobby Orr, his heyday was the sort of original 12 era. Uh, playing for the Bruins, you know, in the 60s and 70s. 
And if you think about how the NHL changed during that time, it was a bit lopsided those first oh, years. And yeah. you, you think about the Bruins, you know, the cups they won, um, you know, during that time, it was basically the original six versus the expansion six. And St. Louis was always the team that ended up mm -hmm. in, in the final those first couple of years. But, you know, you... You had a ton of talent in the AHL during the original six era, no doubt about that, because you only had six teams. Yeah. But bringing all those players up to the original 12, like if you think about the competition that Bobby Orr faced versus the competition that Kale McCarr faced, or faces, it's very different. Mm -hmm. And I mean, not only from the perspective of a bunch of AHLers graduating to the NHL in the 60s and 70s, late 60s and 70s, but also there's no Russians. Yeah. There was very few Swedes. There was very few Czechs, very few Finns. Mm -hmm. So Kale McCarr is playing the world. Mm -hmm. Bobby Orr was playing mostly like Canada and, you know, a couple of Americans. And so it's, it's hard to compare the eras. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I would say is that what Kale McCarr has done um, cannot be understated. No. Because he, is, he, is setting, he set a record against the best competition we've basically ever seen. Yeah. Another thing, too, is that Kale McCarr is not playing against pipe fitters and, con and contractors and whatnot. Every exactly. Night, right? So it's, it's pretty nuts. Look, he's, uh, Kale McCarr gets a lot of press, obviously. He doesn't, I still don't think he gets enough. You know? Yeah, you're probably right. Like, he, like, this is what he is doing as a defenseman. And it's not just the offensive numbers. Because anyone, I don't, I don't want to say anyone, but like we've seen a million times before. A defenseman comes out, he puts up insane offensive numbers, and mm. we go, oh, this is amazing. But we obviously know he is a defenseman, yep. and he does not necessarily play defense. And like I, like I am, I am basically romantically in love with Eric Carlson. Like he right. is, like his game is awesome. I emulate it whenever I do be a pro on uh, on NHL 23. Like he is, he's just an incredible player. But let's be real, like he's not very, he's not your shutdown guy. Right. Kale McCarr is putting up like the best off, like other than Carlson this year, like the best offensive numbers from a defenseman. Mm. Uh, clearly the best start offensively for any defenseman in league history now. Yeah. And he's also doing that while being like one of the most defensively reliable players. Mm. He's won a Stanley Cup already. Yep. He, was, he was playing, like we were there, we saw it. He was playing like 26 minutes a night against the three, like the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions, shutting down like world beaters, like the monsters yeah. from, from Space Jam. Right. And he was doing it Without, like, he didn't even look like he was trying. Yeah. The stuff he was pulling defensively to, like, the defensive recoveries, the way that he influenced transition, mm. the way that he defended the rush, yeah. incredible. And, like, this is, a, this is, I think, like, the most complete hockey player, maybe not hockey player, but the most complete defenseman we've ever seen. Like, I don't want to be a hyperbole guy here, but, like... But why not? But, like, why, first of all, why not? But sure. second of all, like, what Kale McCarr is doing... Yeah. As, as a guy who we trust in all situations, who puts up over a point per game, he finished with 85 points last year, mm -hmm. who, who, is, who can, you can anchor a power play penalty kill, be the top shutdown guy. Yeah. That, like, the value of that is immeasurable. Usually that, those are jobs that are filled by four different players. <laughs> yeah. and, they, and they end up making like you know, three, four million dollars each. Kel McCarr is making nine million dollars a year. Uh, for for you know from now until eternity, yeah. uh, and and he's doing all of those, and he's doing it for a team that will be good for the foreseeable future. Like we we already you know I've written my fair share of Kel McCarr puff pieces you know for for us, and uh, I'm sure everyone else has. We still don't give him enough credit. I don't think it's fair. I yeah. The only thing I would add is you know if you think about his place in the hockey landscape, it's like what else 
do you need? Like, as you said, he literally does it all. Like, there's no room for improvement, really, with Kale McCarr. Like, he's won a Norris, right? He won the Norris. Won the Norris. So he won and the Conn Smythe. Like, I, yeah, I was going to say, like, Conn Smythe, but he did win the Conn Like, what else is, he has a cup, Norris, Conn Smythe, hard trophy, I guess, is the only thing that's next. Yeah. We've already just said, like, it's really not even up to him. It's up right. to the circumstances. Yeah. It's up to him to get that pity, like, Pity vote in a way where he's like, he put the team on his back. You right, know? right. You know, the Jack Adams is like the team that you didn't expect to be good. Exactly. Good. He needs to be like the team that you expected to be sunk by injuries, but there, but Kim McCarr came up and kept them afloat. Yeah. Like it's, this is, this is a modern day, like generational talent. Like we're watching, and I think it's very important. Like we, because the era of, you know, the Crosby and Ovechkins are starting to fade now, mm-hmm. is that like we sit down, we really appreciate the fact we're, whenever we're witnessing generational talent. Mm-hmm. And this is a generational talent. We have not seen very a true. defenseman like Kale McCarr be able to do the things that he does at the level that he does for a long time. It's very true. Incredible. All right. Unfortunately, and it seems like we have to deal with a, a situation like this every single week. Um, unfortunately, we're going to have to do a bit of a hard turn here in that there mm-hmm. is another act of you know, terrible racism in hockey uh, that deserves our coverage here. So the racist incident between uh, Michigan State and Ohio State in the NCAA, mm-hmm. um, simply the Big Ten, uh, uh, and this is by a, a player by the name of Jagger Joshua. He plays, he's a defenseman for uh, Michigan State, yep. and he put out a statement yesterday, uh, which was uh, uh, Monday, saying that he essentially there was a, an opponent who, who played against him, who, who issued racial slurs to him on multiple occasions during the game. And he was told, like, that, that player was given a game misconduct, so mm. at least he was kicked out of the game. But since then, there has been no disciplinary action uh, taken after that from the Big Ten, um, even though he has, he has brought that to, uh, uh, like to the, the powers that be, his mm. teammates and, and, and coach and, and team is, is supporting him. But we've already acknowledged by that game misconduct that at least the officials in the game knew that that was happening. Yeah. So there's already acknowledgement that they can't say like, oh, we didn't know, or oh, there's no. Right. They've already acknowledged, we've, they've already punched him for this. Yeah. So we already know that that happened, and yet there has been no like additional discipline that's happened with mm-hmm. this, and, and uh, Jagger Joshua came out and, and basically said like I, I, like, I feel extremely pessimistic about the way that uh, hockey is like, you know, like, why am I playing in, in, in a place like this that someone can do this to me and only get thrown out for the last, like, half of the game? Yeah. Um, it's terrible, and it's just important to sort of bring this to light that hopefully the Big Ten does something about this. Yeah, and it's really interesting because the Big Ten put out a statement saying that they supported the referee's decision, but after that, they couldn't find indisputable evidence of what had happened. So it's it's very interesting. It's like... And, you know, we don't have the, the evidence that the Big Ten had in front of them, but it's like, where's the disconnect there? It's like, if the ref or the linesman heard it, then is that not the evidence you need? So there, there's something in the background there that's very confusing where I don't know if they have a higher bar to clear for supplemental discipline. That's what's was sort of very curious here. Um, but, I, you know, I have a couple of thoughts on okay. this. And, you know, the first one is that, you know, I mean, obviously there's no place for racism in the game. We all know that. Uh, but it's really disheartening because, you know, I, I've spoke to folks in the hockey industry about this before because we've had many incidences throughout history. Oh and, you know, one thing that people will say is, you know, when you're when you're angry on the ice, it's almost like you're uh, 
you're in your, it's almost like road rage when you're in a car where you just want to hurt the other person as quickly as possible. And unfortunately, like, you know, racism is a, a very effective way of doing that. And it's terrible that that's where society kind of goes, where it's like, I know I can wound you with this. Um, and, and that's why it's so unfortunate that, you know, it, it keeps happening because, you know, you know you're going you're gonna to really emotionally hurt somebody by doing that. And it's just, it's really tough that that's where people go, yeah. you know, when they want to insult somebody. Because I don't think they understand the context and the, the historical uh, wounds that they're opening up when they do so. The other thing I'm very concerned about, and, and this is just something that happens in our industry is I'm basically waiting at this point for a writer to figure out, to get the Ohio State players backstory and try to say, well, they don't have a racist bone in their body and, you know, they, you know, they never, they've never done this before. And there's sort of a redemption arc that, you know, this player spends their weekend saving puppies. Um, I, I know it's coming. Oh, absolutely. I don't know who's going to write it. I know it's not going to be me. But that's something I feel we need to do better in our industry is in the interest of, oh, well, you know, we want to get this uh, unique scoop and this player will talk to us. You have to ask yourself if you're actually doing society uh, a solid or mm-hmm. if it's just, you know, you're, you're, you know you're going to get clicks for that. So I, I hope I'm wrong, but I'm just waiting for it to come out. See, I, I'm sick of giving, and you're right, in our industry, I'm very sick of giving people platforms who don't deserve them. People who shouldn't. And, like, look, I don't care if this person, if the person who did this, uh, first of all, I believe Jagger Joshua. Yep. There is literally no gain that he can get from this. Like, this no. is, so, so there, there are always going to be people that come out in situations like this, especially when the, the big time will say, we don't have sufficient evidence. Mm. And they will say, oh, he just made this up so he could get attention or he could, he could potentially sabotage. There is nothing this man can gain uh, from, from doing this. Right. Nothing but hate messages, basically, and harassment. And now he's brought, and now this will, this will sort of result in undue attention where other racists will then like use, like pinpoint him as someone who they know they can get under the skin. Right. And it just, it just makes life harder for him. So that's why I've, it's always annoyed me with the, with, you know, the whole, they're making this up thing. They're not. This per, this, like, I believe Jack Joshua, I believe that he, he was, he was the subject or, or the victim of racism mm-hmm. and he, he just wants due process and, right. and, and justice to be held. Uh, another thing too, yeah, like I said, is, is I'm tired of giving platforms to people who, uh, who don't deserve them. Mm-hmm. You know, people who, who, you know, like who, I'm trying to think of an example, but even like there will be a Logan Mayu redemption piece that comes out at some point. Right. You know, even in the midst of, of when everything was going about going on with Tony D'Angelo, you know, there had to be a, you know, but what is Tony's side of the story? Like sometimes right. we don't need to hear that. Sometimes yeah. a person has messed up so many times that they just like we don't need to then like sort of spin and give a puff piece on it. Yeah. Um, it this is this is just a shame. And I also will say, like to anyone who does that. Look, your your point about how when you're on, when you're in the heat of battle, you just want to hurt someone as much, but I think it, it goes to show to someone's character that that's the first place they go to. Right. You know, it's it's listen. I have been like in the GTHL, I was suspended for thirty games one time. Okay. Like I was, I believe me, I have had yeah. my red mist moments. Yeah. Okay. It was it was not good. You know, like thankfully, you know, I'm not an angsty teenager anymore. But things happen. 
it never crossed my mind to do that. Right. I think the worst time, I think the worst thing I ever said to someone was, I think I called them fat. And I felt really bad about that after that I apologized to the person. And the ref heard me and he gave me a strict warning. Uh-huh. And you know, and that that has nowhere that that and that has nowhere to, no place in the game. Right. And I felt really bad about it. I was like 11 at the time. Yeah. I was just like, you're a stupid head, but it came out in that way. But for that to be the first place you go to in your mind where you're yeah. like, you you know, you, I always think of it as the stub the toe uh, uh, litmus test. You uh. stub your toe, what's the first thing you say after you stub your toe? Yeah. Like for me, it's it's usually the F word. Yes. You know? Uh, but if but if someone stubs their toe and they go like oh and it's a racial slur maybe that goes to show that something's <laughs> not great up there Very maybe true. your prejudices or your or your ideologically uh, ideologies ideologies are not in line and it seems to me that this person is uh, they may not consider themselves a racist mm-hmm. society might not consider them a racist mm. hockey might not consider them a racist but if you're trying to hurt someone and your first instinct mm-hmm. to hurt them as bad as they can is to say a word that has centuries of oppression and, and hatred and death mm-hmm. and, and torture to it. Maybe that maybe that's a you problem. Maybe that's something that you need to, to deal with. And at the same time, too, like what what situation are we set up with here in, in the Big Ten that they can get su- su- uh, sufficient evidence? Mm-hmm. Like, do uh, I, I, I'm assuming not every player is mic'd up. No, for sure. So how would yeah. they ever? How would they ever in in the first place think that they could get sufficient evidence for this? Yeah, I, I'm surprised that the the officials report exactly. wasn't enough. Like, but isn't that, like I say, we we don't have all the information, so we can only. But if you don't have like parabolic mics everywhere, yeah. then are you not relying on the official's testimony to be your sufficient evidence? Mm-hmm. Because now you have the official saying, "I kicked this player out of the game because I heard him direct a racial slur to this person." Yeah, and then the the player goes. I got a racial slur directed at me by this person. Mm-hmm. What other evidence do you need? You know, and I get that they're likely, there's likely a lot of like litigiousness towards, yes. you know, whether, because then once they suspend this guy like that, he's branded as like that. So that's a big yeah, deal. That's true. So I'm assuming there's a lot of like maybe legal hurdles they have to go through and everything. But at what point, like what other evidence do you need other than yeah. like videotape of him like saying the words with audio? Yeah. Like, and that's not gonna happen. So yeah. there needs to be some supplemental discipline for this. I don't care who you are. If this is the first place you go to, you don't des- like you deserve to be punished and not play collegiate hockey for the next little bit. Yeah. So hopefully that is that is wrapped up. We shall see. But it's a shame, and I really, to your point, I'm glad you brought that up. I really, really hope that we don't see a, you know, a, a, a the redemption story. The redemption story where yeah. you know he's in like a sweater in the. In, yeah. in the cover photo, and it's. You know, I'd be, like, I would be fine with just you know a statement saying that you know this player is going to do the work behind the scenes to be better. That's all I need. Exactly. Yeah. They're just. I would just love some like a, not even just accountability, but like taking of responsibility in yes. one of these situations. I would just love one of these times where even if it's a terrible situation like this, a player goes like, "I made a grievous mistake." Yeah. Like. Clearly, there is something like something in how I was raised and how how I live my life that is wrong. I'm going to put in the work. I'm going to dedicate myself to doing this. I am truly so sorry. I want to apologize. This person, maybe they become friends and allies. And and maybe. like, wouldn't it be great to have one of those stories come out? That would be great. That would be a yeah. great story to write instead yeah. of you know the you know the I don't have a racist bone in my body. I would have voted for Obama three times if I could. Right. Okay, let's yeah. relax. Um, <laughs> speaking of America. American Thanksgiving. Yes. Coming up as a football fan, my favorite day of the year. Yes, except it's always the Lions up here. 
Yeah, but the Lions are inter- interesting this year. So, yeah. I don't mind. I mean, look, to be fair, the best game that was played at, uh, at the Lions Stadium this season <laughs> did not involve the Lions. It's true. Um, but it, it, I, as a, I remember being in university, that was like the one day where I'm like, all right, I get to take this day off of school. Like, I right. get to just, like, watch football all day. It's going to be great. Um, but the Merry Thanksgiving is usually the time because, you know, it, it's usually the if – a, if a team is not in a playoff spot by American Thanksgiving – They're in trouble. Yes. We need to start worrying. Yes. Um, and Merry Thanksgiving is coming up. It's in two days, basically. Mm-hmm. So, which teams should be worried? And we have a couple here. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, so him and so despite the fact Connor McDavid is doing McDavid-esque things and Leon Dreisel is doing Leon Dreisel-esque things, uh, you know, they're struggling to hold on to a playoff spot. And, you know, it's a little wishy-washy right now in terms of win percentages because not everybody's played the same amount of games. But, um, you know, Vegas has been awesome. Mm-hmm. As we mentioned, Seattle has been better than expected. Um, and then you got Los Angeles and Calgary in the mix as well. I, the big thing with the Oilers right now, unfortunately, once again, is goaltending. Uh, Jack Campbell is struggling uh, in terms of goals saved above average. Uh, he is near the bottom of the league. I think he's probably like third or fourth worst right now. You guys like, like Merzlikens and Demko. Would you Demko. like me to list his stats? What's that? Would you like me to list his stats? They are. Do some boxcars. Let's do it. They, oh my God. It's rough. Ryan. Yeah. Ryan. This guy is on the first year of a five-year deal that pays him $5.5 million. Mm. He is, okay, six and four. Ten games started. Six and four. He's got an 873 save percentage. He's allowed negative 9.9 goals saved above average. He's allowed allowed 10 more goals than the average person would. His adjusted goals against average is 4.38. Yeah. He's had four quality starts in 10 games. Yeah. I'm worried. Yeah, and, and that is the concern. And, you know, I mean, luckily, Stuart Skinner has been better, which 921. helps. 921? Yeah. So, I mean, you can lean a little more on Stuart Skinner. And, you know, I, I will say, even though Stuart Skinner doesn't, doesn't have a ton of NHL experience, I mean, he's gone through the whole development process. Yes. So, if he was ever going to hit, it's kind of now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that is an option. What I also found very interesting, just looking into the stats, because I'm not a big advanced stat yeah. guy. I, I do what I can. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I look at the Corsi 4. You're trying your best. I'm trying my best. Yeah. Uh, but one thing I saw on, on moneypuck.com was uh, Jack Campbell's not freezing the puck very much. He's always had rebound trouble. He yeah, always has. and it's, it's just interesting because even the sort of expected uh, puck freezes, it's like 10 less than you would expect. Mm-hmm. So I, I wonder if, you know, the Edmonton Oilers defense core you know, has never been a strong suit, but I wonder if he just melted a few more plays per game, if that might just do a little something there. But, you know, this is something where he's got to work through it. Um, Because, yeah, unless Stuart Skinner can prove himself to be somebody that can be kind of the 1B at this point instead of the the sort of traditional backup, then my worry is that the Oilers are going to bleed points and let an L.A. or a Seattle take the spot that we kind of assumed was going to be Edmonton's, um, or both for that matter, because you have Vegas and, you know, Calgary. It feels like they're turning it around. Um, but, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little concerned about Edmonton. 
Look, it's, it's, things are not great in Edmonton right now because you look at, like, normally when, when for any team, if, uh, if, if your players are putting up, like, generational numbers, basically, mm-hmm. you should be able to at least skate that for a bit. And it's funny enough, we have a great case study of a team that, that had Jack Campbell in net, and yet, and while he was struggling last year, and yet had a player putting up generational numbers and kept them afloat Very in true. the Toronto Maple Leafs last year from, I believe it was from December until February, or mm-hmm. December until March even. Uh, the, really the main heart of the season, Jack Campbell had an 885 save percentage. Mm. He was he was very bad mm. uh, to the point, and, and some were, and it may have looked like he was playing through injury a little bit. Um, I, I believe that was a big part. I believe that was the case, but like there, let's like when Jack Campbell is on, he's like unbeatable. Yeah. And but when he is off, he is very off. There is no middle ground with this guy. And right now, like even even his worst slumps in Toronto, this is far worse than that. Mm. Like just you look at the 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 body language, but even like the way he plays the puck. Um, um, just like how he's not challenging anyone, and he's got the, the classic, you know, I let my teammates down, I'm the worst person in the world, I, right. should, I should be flogged and tarred and feathered in the town square kind yeah. of thing. Um, but, like, Stuart Skinner's their starting goaltender right now. Like, he's not even their 1B, he's their 1A. He, you know, mm. like, he's, he's, he basically has the same amount of starts as Jack Campbell. He has a, nine, he has a 921 save percentage. He's stopped 5.5 goals saved above average. Opposed, opposed to Jack Campbell, 9.9 below. Mm. Um, but you have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. In 19 games, McDavid has 35 points. In 19 games, uh, Dreisaitl has 31. And even then, you look down their lineup, you have Nugent Hopkins, 21 and 19. So that's over a point per game. Yep. You have Zach, uh, Zach Hyman, 19 and 19. That's over a point per game. Uh, Evander Kane, who is now hurt, but he had 13 in, in, uh, in 14. And I think that's, that's part of the problem as well. Thing. The long-term loss of Evander Kane, because he was such a good fit. But they didn't have him until like March of last year. Yeah. And they were still doing okay. And they were yeah. doing okay with, uh, like, like with Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen. Mm-hmm. So this is, like, I would be absolutely worried about this. And, like, the, the, the Oilers, they just, like, they aren't built properly. Like, they just aren't. And, and it, it, it's such a, it would be such a Ken Holland thing that he goes out, he signs an expensive free agent, and then due to his lack, due to the, the organization's lack of like talent identification, mm. he spent all that money when he j- when he already had the replacement in house. Mm. You know, like it right. seems like that would be such a thing where he goes out, he throws money at a problem, and because the development staff really isn't up to snuff, they weren't able to recognize. Oh, we actually do have a goaltender who's who could be pretty good, right. and is going to be making like you know an ELC sort of level money and we could maybe spend this 5.5 million dollars on another player like Evander Kane. So, if he goes down, we have another one. It's mm. it, there's not much more McDavid and Drysdale can do here. Very true. And and unless I mean, one of them can play goal. Exactly. And even then, you have a Stuart Skinner who yeah. has put up very good numbers. Yeah. And yet you're still 10 and 9 in a division that is relatively weaker than normal and mm. you should be able to, I mean, obviously you have you have the Flames coming up now and everything, but even then, you should have been able to take advantage of the Flames uh, sort of like cold start, right? Like I, we all know that that's not gonna not gonna last. There, yeah. there's too much talent on that roster not to. And so what Boston did, at least in the Atlantic Division, is they they took advantage of Tampa and and uh, and Toronto sort of stumbles out of the gate mm-hmm. to make a lead to to pad themselves a lead that is basically insurmountable at this point, unless they go on their own sort of stretch. Yeah, Edmonton had the perfect opportunity to do that. They had everyone healthy at the start of the year. They had all their guys re-signed. They had McDavid and Drysaddle scoring better than they ever have. Mm-hmm. And yet, here we are. I'd be very worried. Yeah. Um, another team to, to, to potentially worry about, the Washington Capitals. Yeah. I'm and worried about them. I, very much so, because they've fallen so far behind in that division. And it's really tough. You know, they, they just can't keep the puck out of there. And 
Darcy Kemper hasn't, you know, statistically, he hasn't been that bad. He's I'm been, so glad I drafted him in fantasy. It's terrific. Love it. Right, right. I mean, he's like a little bit above average or around average. So, but they've given up uh, more goals than almost anybody in the conference. Not yes. just the division. I mean, Columbus, obviously. Um, 3.25 per game. Yeah. It's a lot. They got to keep it out. And, you know, the defense is just not doing it. And they don't have enough offense to paper over it. So I, I just don't know what the solution is other than bringing in, you know, like if you think you're still in your window to win and when you have Alex Ovechkin. You, they're you know, spending like they are. They're making yeah. trades like they are. They think they're in their, their window to win. Exactly. So now you just got to, you got to kitchen sink it. You know, if you got to bring in a couple more defensemen to really, um, you know, evolve that core. Uh, you know, we know John Carlson can put up points, but mm-hmm. defensively, uh, he's, he's no Kale McCarr, let's say. Um, <laughs> That's what we call a callback in the biz. There you go. There you and go. you know what? I mean, it's, it's probably unfair. Um, and we, you know, we're going to talk about New Jersey on yes. the other hand. Uh, but it's like, man, Joe, Jonas, or Jonas Siegenhaller, he used to play for the Washington Capitals. And it was, he was young. He wasn't the same Yoga Siegenhaller we see today. But how good would he look on that Cavs back end, a, a big shutdown guy that can get the puck going in the right direction? Oh, that They waved him. Hindsight. Didn't it's all it hindsight. It's 2020, but you at know? the end of the day, like, look, other teams are, 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 are uh, sort of tried in the court of hindsight, you know, yep. given away. So why aren't the Cavs? Injuries are a big thing here. Very true. You know, you have Backstrom out all year, but you yep. also, at the moment, TJ Oshie's out. He yep. seems to be always out, but... He's out. Dimitri Orlov is out. Connor Brown is going to be out for the rest of the year. And that was a player who's supposed to either who's supposed to solidify that middle six. Yeah. And, and would have helped defensively as a, for, as a forward. Like, he would have been a good, very good penalty killer. He's yeah. always been a very good penalty killer. Someone who could, who could really sort of defend in there. It, it, what, what is odd as well is, look, the goaltending hasn't been too bad. They basically been mm-hmm. average. Like, Darcy yeah. Kemper has, has stopped one goal above average. Uh, Charlie Lindgren, who's the backup, is, you know, like negative 0.1. So he's basically being even. He's basically stopped as many goals as he's been expected to. Um, And yet, here they are. They're giving up, you know, almost three and a half goals per game. This is a very old team, though. And Mm -hmm. so you look at it and you go, injuries are terrible. Yeah, but like, they've been, they're old. They've been injured all the time. When's the last time TJ Oshie played like 60 games or more? Mm -hmm. You know, Backstrom is, is, we were wondering if he's ever going to return. And we still don't know. And we still don't know. Yeah. You know, like, uh, Dmitry Orlov is a big part of that blue line, and, he, and he's out. Um, but it, what, what really does interest me here is, like, uh, when it comes to the defense is, you signed Darcy Kemper, who's coming off the season. I said, buyer beware for him forever. Not mm. to be the, you know, the, the I was right guy. Right. But, like, he had to retrain his eye twice a day during the playoffs to see a puck, like, yeah. be able to track it. So I was very worried about that. He's also, like, 31 years old now. Like, he's old. And we all we see every year there's some team that signs a 30, 31 year old goaltender to a long term contract, and they because apparently aging curves don't exist to them, um, which is tough. But then Charlie Lindgren was actually a really good signing in my eyes. Yeah. He's someone who put up really good numbers. He's still like he's 26, and they signed into a three year deal, I believe, at like 950 thousand or, or a million. And I was like, oh, that's a great sort of bet on on a, a guy who's put up really like very good underlying numbers throughout the year mm-hmm. um, as a good backup to this year clearly entrenched starter. Yeah. And he's been fine. Yet here they are, you know, without sort of room. struggling. They're a very slow team, like they are. And, we, yeah. And the thing about Ovechkin these days is like he he's obviously an elite offensive player, but like he I got to be honest, he doesn't impact 
much. He doesn't impact really the de defensive or neutral zone that much anymore. Yeah. And you need to give him some support. He's mm -hmm. going to keep scoring his goals. He will eventually, I think, eclipse Gretzky for that, that record. I mean, because he'll just, Russian machine never breaks. He won't stop playing. Yeah. But he needs secondary scoring. And right now, their best secondary scoring option is Dylan Strom. And no offense yeah. to Dylan Strom. Obviously, he's doing great. Mm. But like, that was a guy who who was you know like non tendered by the by the uh, the Blackhawks. Mm. Like you should be able to have better homegrown guys, and yet they're not using Connor McMichael. You know there the, there's a lot of the, it, you know they they had Sonny Milano in the in the AHL for a little a little bit. So it just it seems like the depth is kind of lacking in Washington, and it, and age is coming up to them. It's it's tough. Indeed. All right. I mean, teams that we should be confident in. Let's see who who's for real, and we yeah. will obviously have to start with the hottest team in the entire league, New Jersey Devils. According to Keith Yandel on the broadcast last night, they're not even going to make the playoffs. I don't know how much I agree with that, Ryan. Yeah. But this is a team that has won 13 straight games. Uh, if you want to read a glowing uh, feature about John Marino, I wrote one last week. It was great. It was. Um, uh, it was great writing it. I wasn't pumping my own tires when it came to <laughs> uh, my own writing. But th what what a and we've we've glowed about them forever. But what a fantastic hockey team this is. Yeah, and they're just so fun too, right? Yes. I mean, the Devils are a wagon. Um, they are. As the internet likes to say. Um, yeah, I mean, they score off the rush. I mean, they score just kind of all the time, really. No matter what. And, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, John Marino was definitely that missing puzzle piece. And, um, you know, Dougie Hamilton has been, you know, sort of the number one that was promised uh, when he signed. Because he has support now. Because he has support now. Jonas Siegenthaler, you know, again, a player that they've figured out his perfect role mm -hmm. and he's executing it. I know they were high on him, you know, in the past as well. Um, so it's really just all coming together, together for the Devils. And uh, again, you know, um, we'll mention the Boston Bruins as well, but you know, when you get that, that padding early on, it just makes things so much easier because you're not gripping your stick tight every game thinking like, we got to get two points here. You know, y you want to, but you want it to be, you know, it, it's interesting. You talk to players that have gone through rebuilds and, and played for winning teams. And there's an evolution where it goes from you hope to win to you, to you expect to win. Mm -hmm. And the New Jersey Devils right now, they have every right to expect to win every game because it's been 13 in a row. So now when you go into a game, you have that confidence that says, we know what we're doing. We know we can do it. And the fact that they've done it with Andre Palat on the shelf makes it a even the more remarkable that they're not even at 100%. Um, but, you know, we're seeing the breakout from Jack Hughes that, you know, we saw some of it last year, but now it feels it's like, okay, yeah. What we thought could be his upside when he was drafted first overall, mm -hmm. he's there. Yeah. You know, and Nico Heischer uh, has been that perfect two-way center where, you know, people are talking about the Selkie with him oh, yeah. and why not and now he's putting up the numbers to really sort of like put himself in that conversation exactly so you've got that one two punch down down the middle i mean this it's all coming together for gm tom fitzgerald who you know it's it's been a long road and i know it's been a tough one but you're seeing the fruits of your labor now and i have to imagine it's incredibly satisfying oh i i can't even imagine and it's it is funny like like I, i've researched this the day that they're or the game their um their streak started was the game after they lost Pilat to injury. Interesting. Like literally right as he went down, they they ripped off 13 straight wins. Wow. But like what, just a, a remarkable hockey team. Like there's like, what else can we say about them? Every, like everything is firing on all cylinders for them. Yep. Even their like ancillary roster pieces are doing great. 
their coaching. They like you know Lindy Ruff is elicited the the funniest moment of the season as we That's talked right. about. Just lovely. Um, yeah. And then we talked about the Boston Bruins, a team who, like I know that we we like the Mitchell Miller thing happened, but it seemed like the team really band together and put a definitive front, like yep. a united front, which is great. The like and I keep bringing it up, but like it just seems like the vibes are so great in Boston. Everyone came back. Patrice mm. Bergeron came back. David Krejci came back from overseas. You know, so we got we got Dave back. This is great. That's you know, right. everyone who was injured is seeming to come back ahead of schedule. Brad Marchand came a month ahead of schedule. That was a huge boost to the team. Yeah. Charlie McAvoy is now uh, many weeks ahead of schedule, and he's playing great. This is a team that just seems to be loving life right now. Yeah, and you know what? So Patrice Bergeron gets his one thousandth point last night. Yes, and. The moment to me really encapsulated why this team works. So the goal is scored and uh, it, was, it was an assist that Bergeron gets. Brad Marchand immediately points to Bergeron because he knew, he was like, that's a thousand points. They mob Bergeron mm-hmm. as well as they should. But that's the thing. And I know I, I say it all the time, but the culture in Boston is so strong because of guys like Bergeron and Marchand. And uh, Charlie McAvoy is in there as well. But it's like they get it. And they yeah. know how important these things are. And the fact that Bergeron has done all of that entirely with the Bruins. He's a mm-hmm. lifer, just like Marchand, just like McAvoy. The fact that they have that awareness where it's like, this is important. This is who we are. I just think it speaks volumes. I also think it's funny that I think they've lost two games this year, maybe three. And one of them was while... Mitch Miller was signed. That very brief yes, period. That was, they were 0-1 yeah. in the Mitch Miller era, but like basically unbeatable otherwise. They, that game was, yeah, they, they lost one game, and it was the day after Mitchell Miller was signed. Yes, they've, yeah. there's 17-2. They, yeah, and exactly. then they've done nothing but win after that. Exactly. And again, you know, coming into this season, my only real question was, you know, could they get past those early injuries to Marchand and McAvoy? And again, it's that next guy steps up mentality that helped them at the time where we saw like the Connor Cliftons of the team step up. Mm-hmm. And you know, we saw them get secondary offense from other places. And now they're at full speed or close to it. And they're just in a great place. So yeah, beware you, the Bruins. You know what I credit the Bruins for too? Is is and, and again we bring it back to their culture. It's steady, is that they've weathered a lot of like internal storms. Yeah. They've weathered the Bruce Cassidy firing, but they yeah. weathered Jake DeBrusque's trade request. Right. They weathered the fact that David Pasternak was like extremely like non-committal to to re-signing at, at, at one point. You know, they've weathered you know Tory Krug being let go pretty un, uh, you know unceremoniously. Mm. Zdeno Chara not being offered a contract back. You know stuff like that. They've they've weathered these storms and they're still here. And you sign a guy like Hampus Lindholm, you know, to a contract mm-hmm. that. Looked like looked like it could be a disaster, right. and he's been their one of the best defensemen in the league this year. Yeah. Everything's just going Bruins. You're right. Beware of the Bruins. That's right. Right. All right. Let's go into mailbag, shall yes. we? Which is funny because the one question that we have that we're going to answer today from Daniel Phillips, and it basically ties into our last segment. So why don't we yeah. do that? As a Florida Panthers fan, how worried should I be right now? Yeah. So. I don't know how, I mean, I guess the only concern right now if you're a Florida Panthers fan is do you believe the Detroit Red Wings are for real? Because if you're looking at, you know, as we mentioned, the Boston Bruins, they're the number one team. You got Tampa and Toronto that have, you know, both had sort of slow starts. Now they're, they're really sort of kicking it in. Mm-hmm. So if you're Florida, you say, okay, well, that fourth playoff spot should be ours, but we can't muff it. Yes. Because the Detroit Red Wings are, you know, a young, hungry team. You know, the Panthers, 
they're not they're not bad, but there's just like those little elements where I think there's room for improvement and um, they got to come together in, in that regard. So I, I know the underlying numbers aren't bad uh, when it comes to the analytics, but they do need to get results. And I would, I would hazard to say they got to do it sooner than later because you don't want to give life to other teams in your division. You know, for a couple of years now, the Atlantic has very much been a have and have not mm -hmm. division. But we're seeing, you know, this, this was the year where Detroit, Ottawa, Buffalo, and to a lesser extent Montreal wanted to take that next step. Not, not all of them could, obviously, but it feels like Detroit is that team right now because Ottawa and Buffalo obviously have fallen back. Um, so if you're Florida, you, you don't want to give the Red Wings any life. And you do have to also consider is the Metro strong enough that it puts five teams in? Yeah. Now, maybe the point distribution works in the Atlantic's favor where you, it is four and four, but I, I, I think Florida does need to kind of get things in gear. Look, I think, Ryan, we're at the stage in a relationship where we can be honest with each other. Of course. I think so. And I am worried about the, the Panthers. I was okay. worried about them after the Chuck trade. Mm. I was worried about them when they decided to double down with Stahl brothers instead of going out to get younger players. And I'm worried about them now. Okay. Uh, I've never liked this roster ever since they gutted it. Mm -hmm. I thought that they, they basically uh, they took two sort of like foundational pillars of, that, of, of their positional groups and they just sent them out for one guy who could potentially uh, help them there. Matthew Deschuck's been everything they've wanted, right? Yeah. You know, like he's got 25 points in 17 games. He's logging 21, over, over 21 minutes a night. He's doing great. He's, yeah. he's, he's also like pissing everyone off when he's playing. He's doing Matthew Deschuck stuff. That's right. But behind that, like, you have Aaron Ekblad go down to injury, and your number one defenseman is, is Brandon Montour, who actually played pretty well. But then, like, yeah. but then, you're, then you're, you're leaning on, like I said, Mark Stahl, you know, Gustav uh, uh, Forsling, guys like that. Yeah. I've never really liked it. And even then, like, for example, Rudolph Spalsers, mm. a guy with impeccable underlying numbers. He's, actually, he's a very, exactly the kind of person you want to have in your bottom six. They have to wave him. You know, because you want to keep a guy like Eric Stahl on the roster, and mm. because you want to bring Eric, Eric Aaron Ekblad back, I'm worried about this. I'm worried about this team. I ne I did not think they had enough. They had enough juice sort of around Matthew Chuck. I think getting him for that price for that amount of time at this point in his career is perfect. Yeah. You're gonna get the rest of Matthew Chuck's prime, and then some after that. Yeah. For for when the cap goes up, less than double digits, incredible. Mm. But like. You give up Mackenzie Weger, who's that one, was the like, big thing. Like, why? Yeah. Why did he have to be in there? Yeah. You know, and it just like imagine how much, just how much more balanced this team would be if you had that Ekblad, like sort of Weger first pairing, and then you could have Montour and and whoever you want on Josh that back. Yeah. Exactly, Josh Mahara, who is who is also like a found money for them. They, totally. Like like they didn't they didn't go into the season expecting Josh Mahara to be a top four defenseman yeah, for them, yeah. and yet here they are. So. I am worried about it because, as well, this division is so tight yeah. that it, like, you can't, you just don't have that the leeway, um, um, like you said, to give up these points. And they already have, uh, it, it's tough. Anyway, yeah. that is our mailbag. Rapid fire is me. So we we played a game. We played a game last week called uh, Was He a Ranger? Yes. You know, I decided to make to make my own type of game here. All right. It might be more difficult for you because I know you're not a big movie guy, uh, but <laughs> there but there have been so many. So many uh, actors in this one franchise that I think, you know, even just by pure numbers game, you can do it. Okay. It's called Was He in the MCU? Or oh, were, okay. Sorry, were they in the MCU? Okay, My good, apologies. good. I've fallen off of the MCU, but I did see most of the okay. first uh, stage. So, and, and keep in mind, like, right. these are people who have, who have shown up in them at any point. Yes. You know, okay. so my first one is going to be Michelle Pfeiffer. 
Yes, she was in Ant-Man. Okay, well, there you yes. go. All right. So one, one nothing. There you boom. go. Have you ever watched Modern Family? Uh, no, I refuse because I'm an Arrested Development fan. Okay, never yes. mind. Oh, that's uh, okay. I was going to say, the, the, uh, Phil Dunphy, the actor who plays Phil, you know who that is? Ty Burrell? I know who Ty Burrell is. Yes, so yes. Ty Burrell. You know what? I'm going to say yes on that one because I feel he was like a background character, maybe also in Ant-Man. Not Ant-Man, but The Incredible Hulk oh, in 2008. Oh, All right. Well, I fell into that one then. He was the cucked boyfriend of uh, interesting <laughs> of uh, Liv Tyler's character. Ah, okay. um, all right, now we want Sylvester Stallone. Yes, because he was in Guardians of the Galaxy. Wow, you're 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 killing it here. Okay. Um, I think I'm more of a movie guy than you think. I think you are. This is <laughs> this is crazy. All right, um, another one, Denzel Washington. I'm gonna say no on Denzel because I figured that would be a bigger. There you thing. go. Yeah, Look at yeah. that. Wow. Um, Michelle Yeoh. In the MCU? That's a great question, because, I mean, she's done some pretty big things lately. Now, I'm trying to, like, place her in the MCU. You know what? I might be wrong on this, but I'm going to say no on Michelle Yeoh. She was. Okay. She was in Guardians. She was one of uh, Sylvester Stallone's Oh, that's right. In yes. Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh boy! You um, know what? That's okay because I didn't deserve the Ty Burrell one. So it's okay. You know, you're matter. you're a big. You seem to be wa- like prestige TV kind of yes. guy. So you're like, did you ever watch The Leftovers on on HBO? No, though I did hear good things. I, okay. I can only watch so many things. Okay, you know? so I won't I won't do do one there. Um, what was I gonna say? There's one other one. Um, oh yeah, so so an actor an actor on The Leftovers, uh-huh. Carrie Coon. Oh, she definitely was because she was in uh, Avengers Endgame. She was? Yes. Okay. Yes. As Proxima Midnight. And I will finish up, finally. I'll do some, some, uh, I'll do some Arrested Development for you. Nice. David Cross. David Cross in the MCU. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fantastic. You know what? I can't picture it, so I'm going to say no on that You're one. You, perfect score. Look at this. Wow, I thought Boom. I was going to get you. Because there's some... I'm looking back on it because I was looking back on this the other day and I went like, there have just been actors that haven't been used properly in the MCU. Sure. Like Sterling K. Brown, for example. You know who that is? Yes. Yeah, he's an incredible actor. Uh-huh. He was just like, he was in Black Panther, but he like died. Spoiler right. Alert. Sorry. Spoiler. So they can't even use him now. <laughs> they're, you know, they're like, you know, so the fact that Sylvester Stallone was in the MCU yeah. and just like kind of glossed over that. Michelle Pfeiffer is in the MCU. Like yeah. stuff like that. Crazy. I thought I could get you with some obscure comedians because I usually like to put them in like voice parts and stuff. Yeah. But no, you, you got it. Well, there Congratulations you to you for batting a thousand on, on were they in the MCU? Well, I whiffed on Michelle Yeoh, but that's okay. I'm going. Well, oh we'll yeah, so, sorry, sorry. Yeah, ninety yeah. percent. My my bad. Um, but I will I will try and get some more obscure ones potentially for one next time. I'm not going to tell you when we're doing it, so you can't be prepared. Nice. Um, another great podcast with you, Ryan. Indeed. Uh, hockey is going to keep hockey when we're away, and I'm sure we're going to keep right. talking about it.